Pickle! Pickle, we got a rundown today. Coming to you live from Fenway Park in Austin, Massachusetts. <laughs> you just did that. Road trip fans yeah, for you. Clever. Yeah, clever. that was good. No, the pro- you know, the problem is the, uh, if you're under the age of 25, you probably haven't seen Road Trip. Yeah, that was a hard road trip reference. Uh, let's jump right into it, Christopher. First thing I got to say is you're in trouble. Jimmy Butler, take that, LeBron. That was our NBA segment of the day. Segment number two. College recruiting. <laughs> college recruiting. We can, we can hit Jimmy Butler in the post show. Uh, college recruiting world in COVID. So I'm going to get started on this one. There's a lot going on with college recruiting right now. This is one of the toughest landscapes in recruiting ever. Unprecedented. Uh, there's a few reasons why. Um, and I'm going to start this by saying we have a new uh, recruiting portal that we built. It's a way to build a free profile for yourself. Uh, put all of your information that college coaches need, need in one place so you can pull in your YouTube videos, Instagram videos, Twitter videos, put your schedule, put your references, just have it in one place, make it easy. Uh, so specific to what's happening in college recruiting right now, there's a huge compression and uh, constraint going on with the whole system. So kids that were in school last year get to repeat a year. So the, the seniors that would have graduated can come back. The MLB draft was significantly shorter. I think it was just five rounds last year. So your juniors and seniors that would have been drafted, a lot of them did not get drafted. So they're coming back. Uh, Your junior college players that would have been drafted are now looking for four-year schools. And then your high school seniors that would have been drafted are now going, everybody's going to school. So the big time schools that over-recruit, that know that half the kids they recruit are going to go to the draft, now they're showing up on college campuses. So you're dealing with huge rosters. There's going to be a lot of cuts. The transfer portal is going to be mayhem halfway through this year. Um, what are your thoughts on that, Chris? I'm kind of split on all of it, right? There's, there's a part of me that looks back to when we were playing. And frankly, I just never had the opportunities that a lot of kids now have had. And I think it's become more of an expectation than, a, I guess, a privilege that guys were going to get opportunities. There's people signing, you know, the signing NLIs to division three and division two schools, which just really, it just never happened when we were, when we were growing up. Right. I didn't sign an NLI to assumption college. Like I just showed up on campus and basically they were like, Hey, and I was like, Hey, what's up? <laughs> you know? And I think it's just different. I, I, I think people have this expectation of wanting this false sense of security and hope and, uh, you know, be able to post a, a story on their Twitter account that says, uh, you know, proud to announce my acceptance and commitment to play at, you know, Johnny University, whatever it is. And it, it's weird because it, it's taken away from the fact that if you're good at baseball, if you're good at a sport, you can just show up somewhere and find a way to get on the team. Um, the, the, the guy that I reference a lot uh, is a kid that played at Boston College named Joe Swazi signed with the Mets at the end of uh, the, the draft. He signed as a free agent last year. And I'll never forget this. Joe showed up at Boston College, and, and I reference BC because obviously Alex is uh, – Alex Treson is my, one of my best friends, and he's one of the coaches there. And Joe showed up as kind of an uninvited walk-on, right, it, or a little, somewhat of an invited – I don't even really know what the distinction is. Maybe you had a conversation with the coach versus you didn't. But no scholarship. 
Division One has limited roster space. And and the coach was like, hey, listen, you're probably going to have a hard time making the team. And he was like, okay, that's fine. And he just showed up. And I remember this. I nicknamed him Just Joe in the, in the, in the fall, called him JJ. And every day he would do something that stood out. And I, I kept telling these guys when I was there, I was like, hey, man, JJ's a stud, man. You got to get that guy. And they were like, yeah, well, probably going to end up cutting him. And then three years later, he ended up being their best player on the team. So I, I'm just over, like, that part of it where it's like, oh, I have to be committed. I need a, a, a coach to be all over me. Like, if you can play, just show up somewhere and, and play. Like, they're not going to kick you off the field in fall ball practice. They're going to have an open tryout period. So I think you're going to see things shift a little bit more back to that now. And, you know, it's just more what is your expectation going in if, if it is to say – you know, I signed an NLI or I, I got scholarship money or I, I whatever, it, then we're talking about, you know, two different things. But I don't know. Personally, like, I just think if you're good, you're going to be good and be able to go somewhere and play where, you know, you'll fit. Um, if you just beat down the door, it doesn't matter. So I think recruiting's gotten weird and I'm probably a little bit too far removed from it to really appreciate it. And it's the same thing with the travel ball stuff. Like I, I don't really know any of that, that landscape. I've paid attention to it, but it's just different, man. And I, look, I, I, the thing that I want everybody to understand if anybody's watching this is like, don't lose hope just because you don't have a school that's knocking down your door, right? Like don't, don't get yourself to the point where you sit there and go, Oh my God, I'm not getting recruited. Like you can show up somewhere and go make an impact. Be honest with yourself about your skill set. Be honest with yourself about, uh, where you stand physically, academically, all those things. And, and you can show up somewhere and go make an impact on a team. Yeah, it's, the, the best players are going to be on the field. The coach, college coaches need to win baseball games to keep their jobs. So if you're the best player, you're going to have a chance to be on the field. Kids that have scholarships, they might get a little more leash for failure, just like high draft round picks. They, you know, with more dollars invested, they're probably going to give them a little bit more opportunity to fail. But you still got to be the best one on the field. If you're trying to be a major league baseball player, you got to be one of the best 30 in the world at your position. Keep that perspective. And you just got to grind, man. Like you have to figure out how to say, Hey, whatever the task is in front of you, let's face down a challenge. Let's go. I'm, I want this challenge. Like those are the kind of things that those are the things that become the most rewarding at the end. It's not the one where, Oh, you just walk in and somebody hands you a job and you say, Oh, you know, whatever. My biggest regret from when I, when I went to school was, you know, I ended up going to assumption and I was, I was a little bit young coming out of high school. I was a little bit scared, uh, just like everybody else. And, and that fear is okay. Like it's, there's nothing wrong with it. And I realized that later, but the acknowledgement that I could just set my mind to doing something. And, and, and again, the only regret I had is that I, I wish I'd challenged myself a little more. I wish I had just taken the opportunity to go walk on at the university of San Diego or this, you know, hand wave right there, but or like whatever. And that, cause you could just show up and and figure it out if you just show up and work your butt off like things are going to work themselves out whether you end up having a transfer or whatever like more often than not the, the the players that end up like committing to something and going to doing it you know they end up being okay um and i'm sure I, i'm imagining that's what the recruiting world's kind of getting back to there's going to be you know less scholarships going around things like that yeah there was a kind of a viral tweet that was going around the baseball world this weekend from joe bobiak bobiak Sorry, Joe, if I'm pronouncing that wrong. Is that a, is that a two first name person? Like, is that technically like Joe it's, and Bobby? B O B I A K. Yeah. Yeah, but I'm just going to Joe Bobby Ack. So it's like Joe Bobby. What up, Joe yeah. Bobby? Kind of. 
So his tweet was committing to a big D1 school. We are not going to play. Sounds so cool until four years later and you have 50 career at bats or 30 innings on the mound. Go to a, go where you're going to play. Don't be a cheerleader. And then there was a reply from Mason Fiol, Fioli, who's in the Padres organization with UConn. He said, no, always bet on yourself. Take risks and never take the easy road. This type of thinking is what gets you out of baseball fast. It is the type of thinking that makes you internally believe you don't belong. Commit to the big school, work harder than everyone, and dominate. So talk about two different perspectives. One guy's uh, been, you know, he's run the race. He's currently in pro ball. The other one is a, uh, he's a coach at uh, Camden County College. Uh, I think it's, you have to know what you want as a player. So there's, I think there's validity to both sides of it. You have to play to get better. Um, so, so going to a school where you're just never going to play, I mean, it, does, it means you're not good enough to be on the field. So you got to bend yourself. You got to get better. You got to outwork your teammates. You have to be better than the people that are on the roster. That's just life. Yeah. The, the, those four years are so critical because there's so much development that can happen, right? Like you can develop monumentally in those four years. So you can, you can take yourself from, you know, you're a soft hitting middle infielder to you're a heavy hitting corner infielder, like in four years, because you're going through those maturity phases and stages. Like you said, at the end of the day, you have to decide what you really want. When you go in, like, are you cool with the idea of maybe sitting on the bench for two years and challenging yourself and going and taking a job from a guy or are you not? And if you're not, like, if that's going to defeat you mentally, and both those perspectives are pretty much you just described the paradigm that I, I went through as a player, you have to make a decision for yourself as a player and say, I'm cool with this and I can deal with this and I'm not going to feel bad for myself that I'm, this is the situation I'm in. And they might ask me to redshirt. They might not. What, like, whatever. There's a lot more unknown there where if you get recruited and somebody's telling you, hey, you know, you're going to be an everyday guy, that's cool too. Like, that's the, the road that I ended up choosing. Like, I wanted to go play. Now, in retrospect, did it make sense that I went to Assumption College? Did I have the best opportunity to get drafted? There were zero players that got to the big leagues from Assumption College before me. So I kind of broke the mold, right? And I went to Assumption with the idea in mind that I was going to play in the big league someday. And it just, you know, took a lot longer than I expected it to. But, you know, again, you can kind of just set your mind to anything. And, and once you make that decision, if you're honest with yourself about your skill set, I think you can accomplish anything. I think there's some floor ceiling debate here too. We, I, I, that's a, a talking point that we like to use a lot. So I went to, to the University of Vermont. I wanted to play right away. I went, I started every single game my entire career until my senior year I got hurt. I had to have surgery. So I played every single game all four years. If you show up to a campus and you're already the best player at your position, is there another player pushing you to reach a higher ceiling? So if I went to like Florida state in like, who was the, uh, was it JD drew was like the shortstop there. Or if I went to Clemson, who was uh, Khalil, uh, what was his name? Khalil Green. Khalil yeah, Green Khalil was a shortstop a and I'm getting challenged by that kid. I'm probably going to end up being a better baseball player, even if I'm not on the field. It's just, it's uh, you have to know what you want. You have to know what you want. Not every single baseball player wants to be, a major league baseball player. They if you're going to school to play and have an experience and get a good education, prioritize that. If you're going to school because you ultimately want to play major league baseball, go in knowing you have to be one of the best 750 in the world. That's a tall task, but if that's what you want, then pursue it with everything you've got. A um, couple quick notes from producer Patrick. He wants to know about leveraging tech and, and maintaining communication with coaches. Technologies, are, the metrics are benchmarks. So 
Like every single major league baseball player hits the ball over hundred. If you can't hit the ball over hundred, you're not checking the box. Uh, if you're an, a center fielder and you're not running a six, four, six, five, 60, you're not a major league. Like you have to understand the tools that are required at those levels. So, you know, you can get away with being a, a good baseball player with lesser tools, probably at your D3 schools, some D2 schools. But the, the further up you go, they're looking at metrics and, and benchmarks. It's nothing to stress about. It's just the reality of the situation. And then I would say in terms of communication with the transfer situations that, that will be coming up, maintaining relationships. Like you, you don't know where you're going to need to transfer to. You don't know what door needs to be open in six months or 20, 12 months from now. So, you know, if a, if a coach shows interest and likes you, maintain that relationship, be that, polite, don't, don't uh, no-show them. And that's honestly no different than it's ever been before. But I think there was always this blanketed false sense of security before uh, because people just, there were more spots available all at once, I guess, right? It's no different than it was before in the sense that like somebody might come in and be better than you and somebody you know, a division one school might over recruit or whatever it is and bring in too many players. So how is realistically, the only thing that's changed is the volume, right? But the the stuff that was happening before was like false sense of hope. You know, how many, how many freshmen are going into schools right now and getting two at bats or five at bats their freshman year, seven at bats and and division two rosters are, and I think division three rosters are unlimited, right? You can take 70, 80 guys on a team if you want. Like, I think I've seen schools that have that or carrying that many. So, just because somebody recruited you doesn't mean it doesn't mean anything. You gotta go. You gotta go post up, man. You gotta go. You gotta go run the race. Uh, next topic: bat flips and oh, dismounts. Boy, here we Fernando go. Tatis Jr. pimped a homer to, op- to the opposite field the other night. I was shocked because it didn't get out by that much. Let's go. What are the coolest home run celebrations? What do we got? <sighs> So I tweeted about this after you wrote, you were looking for Tatis hot takes. I wasn't watching the game when he hit it. Um, general rule of thumb, four to five things you can do when you hit a homer. First one, obviously, hold. Second is stare. They kind of go together, right? Third is slow walk out the box. Fourth, bat flip. Five is slow jog, right? Those are like There's five. More, though. There's more now. No. We have the selfie. We have selfies. We got the. No, we have the hard. running a route around first base with the first base coach. We've got the. Yeah. Hat tip. We got the, the what, Miguel Cabrera stutter step around first. Was Ozuna taking a selfie? Is that what was happening? He stopped. And Ozuna stopped. And posted for a selfie. I, I wish he went to the dugout. And got an actual camera. That would have been better. Think, <laughs> Somebody think, should have thrown him a camera. I think the obnoxious level of Homer pimps is going like beyond a level where it like it's weird man it's weird uh i don't even need to talk about what my favorite bat flip is because everybody knows what my favorite bat flip homer celebration is the moment suits the pimp job like it has to if you're not like in a big moment and like it's cool we're in the postseason now tatis's homer was weren't they up by one when he hit it or were they uh it was i mean it was a big it was big it was they're they're adding on. It's emotional. It's elimination game. I, I I'm cool with the slow walk out of the box. Like if you do a three to four steps out the box, like you have to make your bat flip understated. I think because if not, it's just it's too much. It's forced. Like when Joey bats hit his right. When Joey bats hit his homer, high emotion, high energy in the game. Like the inning was just a ridiculous. I, I don't. There wasn't a moment in that seventh inning where. 
I wasn't on full alert, right? I remember getting done the game and just like crashing because I had been so focused the whole in, in every moment. And I think if you ask any of those guys, like Bat, when I asked Bats about that, he's like, dude, I just blacked out. I don't even remember any of it. Like, and he had to go watch it. And then you kind of start like piecing it together. So he hits the homer and now he was a notorious, like the ability to show time. And it's, you know, if you have the ability to hit it and hold it, like, that's cool. Like, I think you should always hold it. Even when you hit a fly ball, like to deep shortstop, just in case, you know what I'm saying? A fly like, ball to deep short? Yeah. You should always, like, if you, if you got it, but like missed it, you're like, Oh, let me hold it. Just in case. like, I'm, I can't tell you how many times I've pimped a fly out. And nobody even noticed it because if you just make it casually part of like how you finish, but then like you, you take that second to like simmer. Like, I do that with my golf swing. I'll like, I'll chunk a ball in golf and just hold the finish. <laughs> hold the finish. Like, you get that? Was that a good shot? I'm like, no, it was terrible. I'm just letting it, I'm enjoying the moment. Um, so it might, anyway, like th- there's like some understated stuff that you could do. That's really cool. Now I'll tell you this. My two favorite Homer Pimper dudes of all time, one was Ken Griffey Jr. What a swagosaurus because he could just finish and, like, let the bat kind of, like, fall behind him, and then he would do that, like, you know, left shoulder shrug out the box. Second favorite pimp job that wasn't even a pimp job was Lance Berkman. The big Puma, he just used to hit it, put it finish put with it two down. hands, and literally he would, like – I see I, – I knew you couldn't see my hands, but I wanted people to understand that I was bending over. He would, like, bend over and put the bat on the ground. And – I mean, I guess it's like a reflection of your personality, right? Like how you pimp a homer is probably a reflection of your personality. I, I just always all had branding. a hard time. It's all branding now because it's it's part of the game. It's part of like your persona. Like Javi Baez did a put it down in the WBC a couple years ago, yeah. but it was very inflammatory when he did it. It wasn't like Berkman's just more of an understated, like do your job kind of guy. So you hit it and put yeah. that down. Baez did it I, like, hiya, obnoxiously put it down, then run. So, I don't. I just think like we have to stop playing the like let's try to one up the guy with a pimp job because eventually like where people aren't even going to run the bases it's going to be like men's softball they're just going to hit it and then they're going to do the homer celebration and they're going to have to count the run like because you're going to spend 25 seconds dude I just I just saw what watched the Ozuna one for the first time when when we were coming up with the the show stuff I didn't even know what he did (laughs) like that's pretty obnoxious like if you stop halfway to first base, at what point? Even, I can't. I'm not even allowed to say like I would throw one in the guy's back because somebody's gonna want to yell at me. Like that. That was just what baseball did. When Bautista hit, hit his, it was the biggest moment in 25 years or 20 years of the Toronto Blue Jays. Rugnet Odor was so mad that the next year he punched him in the face. They hit him, and then Rugnet Odor punched him in the face. They tried to hit him in the face with a double play ball first, and then punched him yeah. in the face. Um, at what point does it become like a distraction from competition? As soon as it happens. I think it's – there's like – there's too much attention on it, right, to begin with. It's just too much – I don't know. I, like, look, you, you can make the argument that it, it, it's part of it. Um, and I don't, I don't like hate guys trying to do cool stuff, like the branding aspect of it. And, yeah, you got to make money and you want to have a brand and you like trying to get paid and all that stuff. But – I don't know. Trevor Bauer and Tim Anderson had this whole dialogue going. He did a, I mean, Trevor Bauer did a whole video. I actually watched that. Yeah. It was, I mean, it was good, but then he was like tweeting at him like, oh, you didn't get me or you didn't, you didn't bat flip me. And like, we're talking about a baseball game with implications. 
And we're Where, where's that line? enemies. I, I feel like the line kind of gets crossed. Yeah. It's getting cloudy. It's definitely moving in a direction. So let's segue that into uh, into bat flips in uh, Dominican or Puerto Rico because the Fernando Tatis Jr. bat flip in winter ball. Very fitting. People said the one that he had the other night was big. Yeah. The other one, <laughs> I mean, it's a whole different brand of baseball down there, though. If you don't pimp a homer in winter ball, it's like you pimped. It's like the pitcher feels disrespected. And, like, I, this is a true story. I'm going to tell you this story. So, I have a, I have this tendency, like, when I'm having, like, when I'd be having, like, a, a really good at bat or whatever, and I'm grinding, and I get to, you know, 3-2 or whatever, and then I take the pitch, like, I would, like, kind of just, like, flip my bat like this in my walks. And it's very understated. Like, I don't think anybody should even notice it. It's just the knob of my bat goes that way. And I'll never forget. I walked into the dugout after I scored a run, and one of my American teammates down there was like, hey, man, you really need to watch out like pimping your walks like that. And I was like, what? I was like, I, I dropped the bat and took my shirt off. He's like, yeah, somebody's not going to like that. And I was like, dude, I just watched a guy hit a 307-foot fly ball that barely scraped the back of the fence, walked halfway down the first baseline with his bat in his hand, and then threw it off the backstop. And you're going to tell me the pitcher who's going to get mad at me? And then I got drilled my next at bat. I swear to God, I couldn't make this up. So, like, if you hit a homer in winter ball and you, like, don't do anything, it's, it's like pitchers feel, like, disrespected. But God forbid you walk and, like, just kind of release your bat fast. <laughs> it was so weird. I didn't get it. But to that point. Like, there's just a lot of emotion in winter ball, and, like, it's their culture. Um, I've played in Dominican and uh, Mexico, and fans are super passionate. It's more, like, picture, like, European soccer. That's the way I envision it. Every game matters. Every at-bat matters. And they take it seriously. So, like, there, there's a higher energy level in each one of those moments. Like, if you pimp a homer in game 68 – there wasn't a game 68 this year of the regular season, but, like, normal 160 – like, if you're going to do, like, a ridiculous pimp job, on like a you're up by two in the sixth inning homer i think that's probably a little aggressive um yeah I, i've always been a big fan of just a dismount just a, like the carlos gonzalez where he would like follow through and the bat would just kind of roll across the plate because he would, he would kind of follow through drop it and it would just kind of roll out i think ken griffey is just classic i'm surprised you didn't throw dante bichette in there the oh yeah, the, yeah. The back dante, dante, dante told me he said it's like it was like he scared himself. So like when he let go of the bat, he was, ooh, he's he's still <laughs> he gives good demos on. We should get Dante to come on the show and do it. That'd be good. I, I've always liked the uh, just just hit it couple couple walking steps where you know. Yeah. That's when people would always ask me with you how you how I would know so quick when it was a homer. I'm like if he walks out, it's out because you did you did a lot there. of office field homers and people weren't really used to that. So if you walked out, you got it. Yeah, so that's, that's how a, you know. But it's like, like uh, just tell everybody, just watch it's me. part of a brand. So like Sammy Sosa's hop, that was always electric, especially when they, he was hitting 60 homers every year. Um, so Sosa was, had the, the trademark hop. Wasn't a big fan of the Barry Bond spin move. That was actually kind of cool because it was before anything like that was happening. I yeah. thought that was nasty, but it, it, it didn't. It was, uh, what do they say, uh, not appreciated for its own time because it yep. wasn't. Uh, it was, it was uh, too early. Didn't David Ortiz have one where he hit it? And like back to cross into the righty batter's box. That one was good. Oh yeah! Whenever you Patrick's gonna have to find all these. Yeah, when you lean on somebody and come across, did he hit one in the W in the first WBC where he like he like angrily threw the bat all the way yep. across the field? Yep, that was really when it all started. 
but it's got i think it, i think we just need to do a better job of like fitting the moment like let's fit the moment like the pimp job has to fit the moment that's my final point on that it's talking about fitting the moment uh crossing the line all this stuff that we just were talking about so the uh i forget his first name ramon floriano is that right raymond ramon yeah you're really in touch with the game I just know his last name. Oh, Cannon. Yeah. He has an absolute cannon uh, short and he threw the ball to first base in the air one time. Uh, he's getting interviewed mid game. So we, we had talked about Tatis Jr. Getting interviewed mid game, doing interviews during the playoffs. Eh, I'm out on it. I am off that. Cause he, <laughs> he got burned. Oh, he didn't get burned. There was a double into the gap and he took off running for it. He, I, I couldn't really make out what he said. I think he said something about Robert being fast and like, oh, this freaking run. Uh, I couldn't really tell, but kind of awkward to like be mic'd up when your team's giving up runs. I would say it's probably more of an all-star game type of situation or look, there, there's just a lot of, I, I don't have a problem with there being mics on the phone and hearing like really natural organic stuff, but to mic a player off directly and, and they're having conversations really? with them. They're interviewing yeah. them mid-game. Yeah, have it, like having that that as a distraction. Like that's what I'm saying. Like I think I don't think that's cool. Like I think sounds of the game is fine. Where you know you're taking more natural, organic stuff that's happened during the game because that can really be enlightening to younger players too. Instead of um, instead of you know trying to force an interview or I don't know. I I would feel weird. I know I would be distracted. Uh, and I'd be thinking more about what I was saying and trying to be conscious of, of that than I would be playing the game. Uh, it, think, it's a weird line to try to cross. I think if you could guarantee the ball wasn't going to get hit to you, it'd be awesome. <laughs> You're just out there just having a conversation like, yeah, yeah, just throw the ball around, whatever. Yeah. But, but when That's you, how baseball happened? goes. You're going to get an atom ball. Has anybody made an error when this has happened? What if it's like a really long inning and there's like pitching changes? And I haven't seen a, I haven't seen a middle infielder like communicating – like a shortstop communicating with a second baseman It'd where the game gets intense. I, I don't like it in the playoffs. I think it's cool. Yeah, very, very cool concept, but not in the playoffs. I'm trying to win a world series, dog. I'm trying to win a world series. Trevor I'm Bauer. To win a world series. Trevor Bauer. Self-promoter extraordinaire. He's, uh, he's on Twitter. I guess he's in Boston. He's uh, asking if the Red Sox are up. He's in Boston right now. Uh, he, well, he tweeted like a plane ticket that he was going to Boston. What do you what do you think about a player publicly promoting himself uh, in this fashion? So I, I, I let's start this. Let's start it by saying Trevor Bauer's on the record. I think he made a bet with a friend at one point that he's never going to take a multi year deal. He's doing one year deals forever. Um, I, he I think he's also said out loud that he would take the multi year deal if the situation was if the circumstance was right. He felt like he was in the right place. Uh, but that's neither here nor there. Like public self-promotion to me, it, there was a, t there was a day and age where if, if like, if you were good, you let other people talk about it. Right. Instead. Now I feel like if you're good, you, you still have to sell yourself because that's going to be the separating factor. Cause there's a lot of guys that are good. And now people are distinguishing themselves with their Twitter handles and their Instagram profiles and things like that, which like, look, it's, it's fine. Like it, it, I'm not, I'm not the person that's going to determine what the generation is going to do, right? Like, it's not for me to decide. Like, I can have an opinion about it, but it, it, my opinion really doesn't matter. Um, 
so it's weird, right? Because I feel like as a player, your objective is probably like put yourself in the best situation possible, go maximize how much money you can make. And it's, this is where that paradigm gets lost. Like fans are like, Oh, well, you should be worried about playing for an organization and, and being the best you know, teammate and winning a world series and all that stuff. And you should be grateful and thankful and all that, you know, that jazz over there. And I get it. Like, that's how you should feel. At the same time, I've, I've seen how the industry works in the other way. And I'll tell you what, like, at some point they kick you out. Like, at some point they're just like, yeah, you can't play here anymore. And whether you can play there or not still, they just say, see ya. So most baseball players don't have a four-year degree. Most baseball players, a lot of them don't even go to college. So, like, they have no other means of income or, or, or skill or resource or whatever to be able to go pursue after. So anybody that tells you they wouldn't try to leverage their careers to make as much money as they can, or that should be your thought process going in. And that's why we have agents like, because for a long time, like organizations try to take advantage of players. You know what I mean? Like they, they tried to, they tried to like pay players as little as possible, but you know, you have to, figure out how to, how to make as much as you can while you're playing. So do I think he's doing the right thing? Like if it helps him make an extra million dollars, then yes. If so not, he's, then probably not. Yeah. One thing that he is doing is he's, he's calling out all of the weird tactics, all like the, when Tatis Jr. swung at the 3-0 pitch, he's like, yeah, swing at that 3-0 pitch. That's a homer. That's four RBIs. That's going to mean something in arbitration a couple of years from now when the team is going to attack you and discredit you as much as they can to, to win that hearing. So he's calling stuff out. He's calling out like the, all the policies with like the cleats and, you know, double standards and just different things that he thinks are wrong with baseball. I think historically that is something that should have, would have been just handled through the union or behind closed doors. But I think he recognizes that he can create his own platform. And at this point, he's almost getting the Gronk treatment where he is who he is. He is who he is. There's an authenticity to what he's doing and he's kind of earned the right to kind of do what he wants and people are embracing him for it. Where Gronk, you know, Gronk can go out and party and, and be Gronk and people just love him for it. Yeah. Cause, Cause at the end of the day, if you come with it, if you come with it on the field, it shouldn't matter how you are. And it, let, let me rephrase that. If you come with it and you're a good dude and can be a good teammate, which, and I'm going to defend Trevor wholeheartedly. Like people see his personality and they think like, I really enjoyed being around Trevor Bauer and talking to him, like very bright kid you can have high level discussions, conversations with him, super supportive of his teammates. So um, just cause his personality is what it is to me, it doesn't, it, it shouldn't, I don't know. I certainly help a team be really good and win. And obviously he's a good pitcher. So um, is it, he's a player who's going to keep getting better and, and allowing he's never going to stop searching for ways to get better. Let's put it that way. No matter how much money he makes, because I think he just enjoys all the stuff that goes into it. Right. Like that's his, that's kind of one of his releases. So, do I have a problem with what he's doing? No. And I, I'm, there's actually, there's parts to me that are, are impressed in the sense that it's almost like he's creating a lot of distractions, dialogue with older players, like, you know, the Kurt Schilling, Aubrey Huff whole situation where he has back and forth with those guys. And like, I can't imagine like getting in like a, a Twitter yelling match with these guys and guys who I watched growing up and then being, you know, staying, being able to stay focused enough or, or helping mo motivate me to be better. Um, that's hard. And, I, and again, I, I feel like 
the way I grew up and the things that I think of is like when other people are talking about how good you are, that's when you know you're you're a dude. When you have to talk about how good you are and compare yourself to other people like that, that's not my jam. It's just not my cup of tea. But you know, it is what it is. If it helps motivate you and make you better, and and obviously it did for him. Like he just went and had the best year. Like if he doesn't win the Cyan, I thought his his quote after. Um, I, about the Cy Young thing, I don't see how you could see it any differently when they asked him if they if they thought he should win the Cy Young. It was it's pretty impressive, man. Like he had a really good year. Yeah, he's he's so objective about stuff like that. Where he'll just look at the stats and be like, if you do a blind t- blind test, player A, player B, who should win? It's pretty obvious. Uh, and Bauer's doing some cool stuff for other players too, where he's trying to create platforms. He's you know he does the inter- the interviews that he does in spring training are pretty cool. And he's giving other players a chance to speak and share their ideas and pretty cool stuff. Um, we got some post-show stuff. We're through the first round of the playoffs. Uh, we got some real series coming up. Playoffs? Are these uh, are these five-game series now? I think, Patrick. Yes, regular division five game series. series. Regular DS. There's, uh, there's some drama here. We got all divisional series, which is funny. Um, Padres and Dodgers had some beef this year. A's and Astros, not friendly. And the Yankees-Rays had some beef this year. Uh, Marlins and Braves are just kind of there. Whatever. Yeah, it's kind of whatever. So, <laughs> I really want the Marlins to win, though. They've never lost a playoff series. Did you know that? I did. They've never lost a playoff series. I saw that the other day, and I was like, oh, that, that makes sense. They are consistently terrible, but when they make it, they make a run. Um. Padres Dodgers. This could be a very exciting series. Who are you, who are you taking? Uh, do you want me to give a real answer or my normal answer? We should give um, uh, no. Give a give a like a be an analyst right, for a I'm, second. I'm, I'm gonna, yeah, I'm going to be honest. What was uh, the what was the um the series split with them? Where where can I find that real quick? I bet MLB. Right, have to look it up. up. You talk. Uh, I'll I'll find it. All right. So my. What I would really like to happen would be uh, to – I would love for the Marlins to win the World Series because I would love for them to continue their never-lost-the-playoff-series thing ever. And I think because I like Derek Jeter and I – John Birdie is on that team, and John Birdie is one of my favorite guys that I've ever been around, and I'm super excited for his opportunity. Like, Because he's like actually a baseball player. He's not a metriker. He's not an exit velocityer. Um, and I'm glad that they appreciate that. So that would be cool. Um, honestly, I, I think whoever wins the Dodgers Padres series is probably going to win the world series. Um, I, there's part of me that tells me that the Rays, like, so let me quick, quick interruption. Dodgers won the season series six, four, uh, Braves won the series against the Marlins six, four, the Rays were eight and two against the Yankees. Yeah. And the A's were seven and three against the Astros. So I, I think I think the A's I think Oakland beats Houston, which I'm saying that strictly because there's so much pent up anger there for like the whole situation. And well, the, I, the five game series is different than a three game series. You can squeak out two wins. I think the the longer the series, the more is it, the more uh, randomness leaves the equation. So you've asked me for my picks, and I still haven't made any picks. All right, go. All right, I, I'm just going to say it. And I don't, I hate doing this. Yankees. I really, I don't even like doing, I I, I really hate doing this. Yankees A's in the 
in the ALCS. The NLCS is going to be Dodgers, Marlins. The Marlins beat the Dodgers. No, that's impossible. The, 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 the Dodgers – the Dodgers are going to win the NLCS. The Dodgers are going to win the World Series this year. It's time. They got, they got, uh, they got Mookie. He's the best player ever. They have who? Mookie? Yeah. Yeah. I, I almost just went into horses in the back. They got the horses in the back. I think uh, Dodgers. No, they do. They're Do-Dod- they're stacked. They have pitching. I think they the have offense. Dodgers offense. beat the A's. No, I think the Dodgers beat the Yankees in the World Series. See, I I, I get torn in between. I, my prediction is the Dodgers win the World Series. Whoever wins the Dodgers Padres series, but I think. I'm picking the Dodgers because it's their due. Let's I'm gonna go. Way. I'm gonna go based off who I want to win. Uh, I want the A's to beat the Astros because trash cans. Uh, I want the Rays to beat the Yankees, but I don't think they will. I think when you go eight and two against a team in the regular season, they've like spent. They've spent their success. That was part of what was I was gonna get at. I just think the Rays. I, they don't. They don't have that like big game like you can get it done feel. They don't have a lot of experienced guys like there, there's no there's no guys that have been there before. I mean, the I don't think the have, Yankees have were running out the same team that they have now too. The Yankees got real hot all year. Them. They were uh, they were obliterated. Yeah, uh, Marlins Braves. I want the Braves to win. I'm Team Freddie Freeman, and I think they have good pitching. Marlins have talent. They've got some rawness to them, but I I want the Braves to win. I want the Padres to beat the Dodgers. I don't. I don't know that they will, but they're so exciting. Yeah, Fernando I Tatis is a lightning bolt. That dude is it, so electric. Manny Machado has become very likable in San Diego. So there's there's, there's a lot of talk about how Tatis Jr. has helped uh, Manny in terms of just like being a co-star, like having good energy and being a good teammate and stuff like that. Like, yeah, I'll buy that. But I, I think it's hard. Like, I think Manny. I had to make like you had to make a commitment. How about humanly. how about uh, Tatis Jr. should be on the White Sox. Fatis? Right Fernando Tatis should be on the you White Sox. How much Fatis. does that? How much does that hurt, producer Patrick, noted White Sox fan? Would they get they traded James Shields for him? Good call. James Shields did an yeah. interview recently about that. He was like, "Well, yep." Yeah, you says, <laughs> Might go down as the guy that got traded for Tatis Jr. Um, that dude's he's awesome. I'm. I'm going to hop on the train, though. The winner of the Dodgers-Padres series wins the World Series, and my pick is the Dodgers. I can't believe I'm doing it. I can't believe it. It's, it's, not, a bad, it's not a bad pick. No, I know, but I, I feel like they just find a way to not win every year. Uh, any football thoughts? Your boy TB, TB12 threw a pick six and then showed out. I thought Tom Brady was done. I thought at 43, you couldn't get it done anymore. Uh, Tom Brady's like, whoo, whoo, yeah. Dude, left. <sighs> no, he's a ninja, though. He had a good game. He's going to be 63 and be the best quarterback in the NFL. I don't think people understand. Is he the best what? quarterback in the NFL? Yes, because he's just, all I do is win, 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 no matter what. Uh, I think that's it. Anyway. I think that's anyway. it. Anyway. That's the pickle for today. Signing off from Austin, Massachusetts. Uh, And from Boston, Texas.